Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast, where we learn from the smartest people in the world. I'm your host, Daniel Vadnall, a physio from Australia with more than 15 years of calisthenics experience. Alan Thrall is an expert in all things strongman. He believes everyone can find fulfillment from working out, getting stronger inside the gym and in daily life. Discover why real strength is about more than just lifting heavy weights. I was with one of my friends who was very similar to me. He's a powerlifter, strong man. We went to a restaurant and he looks around and he goes, I bet I have the highest bench in this restaurant. Uh, that's just <laughs> what like, he, he cares about. What did strength used to mean to you and what does it mean to you now? Strength became, when I first got into, when I first got into lifting weights, I was in uh, middle school actually. It was in preparation for high school football. And at that time I had lifted weights and I loved lifting weights because it, I knew that it would make me a better football player. I stopped lifting weights once football stopped at a high school because I just kind of thought, what's the point? I'm not really crazy about this now that I'm not playing football. I had fall, uh, fallen back in, in love with uh, lifting weights while I was in the military. And I would have told you, you know, 15 years ago that strength to me was, was my identity. I wanted to be a big, strong guy so that Anyone who met me had no doubt they would say, this guy's big, this guy's strong. And to me, that meant lifting heavy weights on a barbell uh, and a, a little bit of strong man, but it was particularly how much weight can you lift in the gym? That's what being strong meant to me. Pretty uh, typical answer, I guess you could say. Um, once I had uh, become, a, I was a starting strength coach for, uh, I don't know, probably a year, a year and a half. Um, and this was, kind of the height of, I guess, YouTube, my YouTube popularity and like uh, 2016 or 17. It was definitely the peak of YouTube instructional period of all these instructional videos and tips and, and whatnot. Um, and at that point, I was a starting strength coach. And so I had bought into the starting strength way of thinking. And I don't know how much you how much experience you have with starting strength, but uh, they have a whole sales pitch, like I mentioned earlier, of what strength is. Um, it's your ability to produce force against an external resistance, which sounds like a decent definition of strength. Um, but their external resistance is a barbell. <laughs> That's nothing else. Uh, so how much can you bench, squat, deadlift, and overhead press? And uh, they had a reason for why those were the ultimate measures of strength. And so I would have said strong is how much you can bench, squat, deadlift, and overhead press. Uh, I wouldn't have said anything about doing pull-ups, doing push-ups. I wouldn't have said anything about, uh, sure, you can, deadlift, you can deadlift 600, you are strong. However, you have high blood pressure, you're severely overweight, you know, all these <laughs> a number of issues. I wouldn't have even considered that. Uh, I, don't, I now don't think that that is a strong individual or a strong body uh, in the holistic sense. Um, but uh, so that's kind of how I view strength now uh, is strength is a lot more tied to health and physical ability nowadays than it was in the past. So someone who might be, who, who only deadlifts 300, uh, but can do a number of pull-ups who can hold either heart rate and, you know, steady by doing cardio for a number of minutes, whatever. Um, and who has uh, good overall health, I would say is a strong person. From what I've seen, People that have been training for more than five years tend to gravitate towards what you're saying over time because it starts out where you get into this very tight-knit community. Is it strongman? Is it powerlifting? Is it calisthenics? And then over time, you realize that strength isn't singular. As you said, there's a lot more domains to it. There's the absolute strength of you know, pushing heavy weights, which is fantastic. Then there's also relative strength, just being able to move your body around with calisthenics-based movements and not discounting health because you can chase peak strength and no one's going to argue that the strongest people in the world or the fittest people in the world aren't the healthiest because there's almost like a inverted U or, or a, yeah, like an inverted U of health relative to your physical function. Like the fitter and stronger you get, to a certain point, improves the quality of your health. You go too much the extreme to being the best in the world, you're probably not the healthiest because there's certain sacrifices 
that are required to be made. So most people listening and watching can relate to this progression and maturity over time that it's okay to become less identified with one particular way of doing things and gravitate towards a more holistic approach. But I feel that it's difficult for people to do this because we're very social, community-based creatures. Human beings are like that. And then when you say something like, I want to lift weights, but I also want to do some cardio, that's polar opposite. You, you can't be doing that. Or same for my world. It's like I'm doing calisthenics, but I don't mind lifting some weights to fill in the gaps and just become complete from both sides of strength. Yeah, I was talking about having a conversation like this earlier today. I think that um, a lot of it is very tribal, especially with what social media, not to say that social media is a bad thing, but with what social media has done, we we get inspired or motivated by a type of person, whether it's I saw world's strongest man and I want to be like, like one of these guys. I saw a big, strong power lifter. Uh, you know, he has kind of similar body type to me. I want to, I want to do that. Or I saw, I was watching the Olympics and I saw some gymnasts doing this and those guys are jacked and they, they do this and that. Uh, so you kind of are motivated and inspired by this type of person. And then you strive to be like that person or that group of people. And you kind of get into this tribe and now your values are of the tribe's values. And so you, you want to show your status by saying, I squat 405 and within my community, that's strong. And so that's what I'm shooting for. Uh, and, uh, I think that that's, that's, that can be good for people to get involved. Uh, and I think, like you said, being social is important. Um, uh, you know, it, it might not even be 405. It could be winning strongman competitions to show my status or being able to do a handstand push up, you know, and post it online for my community to see, um, you kind of put these values and it's almost as if uh, the tribe's values are more important than your own. So you, you do get, some people get stuck in this thing. And there was a time when uh, I was stuck in this, this powerlifting mindset. Uh, this is what powerlifting, this is what powerlifters do. If I want to continue showing some credibility, I have to increase, keep increasing my bench squat deadlift. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, once you're kind of like, Hey guys, I'm, uh, I've been doing some running lately. It's met with like, well, you're doing what, you know, that's not what we do. Uh, so yeah, it can't be tribal. And it's funny when people don't realize they don't see the full picture of the totality of your training, they'll see you doing an exercise using myself as an example. And it's like, Oh, you can only do that. And then there's almost like this defensive reaction that you want to like give back and be like, Oh, but I'm, I'm doing X, Y, and Z as well. It's like, yeah, I, I yeah, can't yeah. compete with someone who's specializing, I'm not saying that's better or worse. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a different game that you're playing. Yeah. It's a definitely just a snapshot. Uh, and I think it takes a level of maturity to know that and understand it and accept it. Um, whereas I remember, uh, this was when I was like, uh, 21, I was with one of my friends who was very similar to me. He's power lifter, strong man. And we went into the, the, we went to a restaurant and he looks around and he goes, I bet I have the highest bench in this restaurant. Uh, that's just <laughs> what like, he, he cares about. Uh, and I joked about that when I did my, my, uh, 10 mile trail race, uh, last summer, I had uh, posted a picture of the finish line on my Instagram. And I said, uh, I finished with this time, uh, about mid pack. And I said, but I'm not too upset with finishing mid pack because I know that I can deadlift more than any of these guys. Uh, so I would just yes. say, just like, just joking like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, sure. I'm, I can only do this, but they don't know that I can do this too. So, but yeah, I think it's, it, like I said, it does take a level of maturity to like, to accept that, uh, and to know that, uh, this person lifts a lot more weight than me. Um, but you know, that's the only thing of importance to him or her. Uh, I, I put my energy toward other things as well. So as someone who has primarily lifted weights throughout their life, what have you learned from running? Well, I think I've uh, firsthand kind of busted this myth to myself that you can actually lift weights and run in a productive manner. You can do both simultaneously, uh, which, you know, I had, uh, uh, adamantly disagreed with years ago. And then I think once I had softened and maybe not disagree with it, I still just didn't, wasn't sure. So to actually try it on myself, uh, it was refreshing to find out that while well, I can do both of these things, um, get better at both of these things, simultaneously 
Yeah, for sure. But what insights do you think that the average person could glean from your experience as in the misconception that perhaps they're going to lose muscle, lose strength? Is this true or unfounded? I think that like anything, start slow, uh, literally and figuratively when you're starting running, if you're a weightlifter and if you run and you want to get into weightlifting again, start very slow. It doesn't take much at first to get better. And I think that a lot of people overdo it at the start. They've previously lifted a lot of weights or lifted weights. Often they start running and they want to go for a, a couple mile run and they say, Oh, I'm, I'm thrashed. My knees hurt. My ankles hurt. That's a long two miles or 10 minutes of running. 20 minutes of running is a long time to do it first. Um, go run around your block, maybe even break it up into 30 second slow jog shuffle and then a minute walk, whatever it is just to start slow, literally in your pace, but also in progression, uh, with mileage. That is the number one predictor of injury for lifting weights as well as running is too much too soon, whether that's too much volume too soon or too high of intensity too soon. And I think that, you know, people who go hard in the gym and lift weights and chase big numbers, they kind of take that same mentality into running. Um, or they look at it as, Hey, yeah, I'm used to run in high school. Uh, so I'm going to go straight back to that. And I'm going to go run on a track, really hard workouts. Uh, so again, too much, too soon, too fast, too quickly. Is there any recommendation, sweet spot guideline that you'd recommend for someone who is primarily lifting weights, but wants to start introducing in some cardio, like how much frequency and time would you recommend? Honestly, once a week is enough. I did uh, twice a week. It somewhat depends on the individual. Um, if they are very active and they're on their feet often. So before I had started incorporating more running into my routine, I was already walking 15 to 20,000 steps a day, just on my feet all day. And so to throw in a couple miles of those 15,000 steps, uh, it didn't really bother my knees or hips or, or, or feet. Um, but if you are sedentary or if you just work a desk job and your only real activity during the day is, it is an hour at the gym and you want to start running, uh, you know, you start running a couple of miles at once and that's a few thousand steps additionally. So it does depend on the individual, but I think that once a week is enough. I started with twice a week. I would do twice a week. Um, one of the runs would be two miles. Another run would be one and a half to two miles. Uh, and I would do that. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday and then Saturday. And I would not care about my pace. I wouldn't, I didn't, I, I would log it in my, in my watch, uh, just to keep track of it. But I would look down and say, you know, sometimes say, wow, that's slow, uh, but not be upset about it. Uh, and, uh, there were times when I would run and I'd say that was uh, pretty fast. That's good that I can run that fast and not be uh, affected by it. Uh, but I need to slow down. So it was kind of just to keep me in check. So, cause I knew going into it, I didn't want to do too much too soon and put another sour taste in my mouth or, have some sort of confirmation bias and say, you know, see, I told myself running is bad. You know, you shouldn't do it. Um, with that, with that said there, you know, I've talked a little bit about the interference effect and a lot of people will, will cite that, that either weightlifting or, uh, running can have this interference effect when done both at high volumes. And if you are trying to be an elite runner, that needs to be the bulk of your training with some, uh, weight training to help improve your running as well as, a number of other reasons, injury prevention and things like that. But if you're primarily a power lifter, I'm not going to prescribe a bunch of running to you unless you, it's something you wanted to do. Um, so if both of those things are kept down at a, a lower percentage, I don't think the interference effect is anything to worry about. Uh, maybe for more elite or more advanced athletes. It's refreshing to hear that advice because in fitness, it tends to be an all nothing type of recommendation. You're either doing all the cardio or you're doing no cardio. And seeing that you were getting some beneficial effects from a twice per week frequency while also concurrently lifting weights is really affirming to the average listener because I feel that we want to get stronger, build muscle and have a decent cardio respiratory base to feed into all of those different disciplines for sure. And Last thing on the cardio, how would you recommend structuring that into a week when combining it with strength stuff, i.e. do you do it in the AM session, the PM session? How do you like to fit it in? 
I think it, dep- it depends on your schedule and what works best. Um, I would do it really whenever I could, whenever I could get it in. Um, I find that uh, running, if it's low intensity, running first and then lifting weights, I feel a little bit better um, than the other way around, depending on how much volume I'm doing. If, my, if I do a whole lot of squats and my legs are fatigued and a little bit pumped, it's not, you know, running doesn't feel that great. Um, but I feel like if I run a couple miles, low intensity, rest for a minute, let my heart rate come back down, I'm warmed up and ready to go. Um, and there were times when, uh, just because of my scheduling, I could jog to the gym, which was only a few miles away. I could jog to the gym and do my workout. Um, so that was kind of how it was structured, but really whenever, whenever you prefer, um, I would also last summer, I would try to run early in the morning, even before the sun came up, just because the the heat here is over 100 degrees Fahrenheit f- for months. Um, so I felt best running first thing in the morning. Um, so that's that's how I would structure it. But I don't think uh, no scientific data to say this is this is better before or after. Yep, not for sure. And I think that having one's personal situation preference at play is huge because even if the science said, Alan. You have to do it at this time of day, but your schedule with being busy with work, you know, your own training external to the cardio, you know, busy family life. If it was a difference between you doing it when it's optimal and you not doing it, I know your answer would be just doing it because it's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think the science actually suggests that uh, weight training sessions are your best performance is eight hours after you wake. Uh, I like to do it within an hour of waking just because I, I prefer to lift weights in the morning um, for a number of reasons. So that's what I do. So yeah, you're right. We are both the exact same in that respect. I've heard those studies and I can feel the difference in myself personally in terms of my strength in the afternoon compared to, like you said, within an hour of waking, we're already in there hoisting some heavy weights. But as you said, it gets done. It's the It's the habit, it's the routine. And that's why I also subscribe to doing it first thing in the morning as well. Yeah. What were the main benefits that you found from running, be it signs and symptoms that you felt physically, mentally, et cetera? I don't have any hard data on uh, any, any metrics that have been improved, but I like to think that my, my resting heart rate has improved. Uh, I didn't, again, I didn't measure it before I started running to, to now, but uh, I like to think it's improved. Um, I do notice that during my weight training sessions, uh, I, I can recover quicker between sets and I feel like I can handle, uh, I can handle more work in the gym, uh, which you would, you would, uh, it's, it's hard for some people to accept or believe that this low intensity cardio can actually improve your high intensity efforts in the gym. Uh, whereas before I had done a lot, well, a lot more, a lot more high intensity interval training type things, mainly with strongman very high intensity exercises for five or 10 minutes, get my, uh, uh, heart rate skyrocket and then rest for a minute, maybe 90 seconds and then get it skyrocket again. But I'm only holding that heart rate for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Whereas I can run in what's called the zone two cardio for maybe 30 minutes when I was running more upwards of an hour at like this 125 beats per minute type thing, uh, which I think has, has greater benefits. And so back to what I was saying about the high intensity interval training, I had been doing that, but it, it really wasn't improving my noticeably improving my rest periods in between sets for lifting weights. It was kind of just always something I did mainly because it was specific to strongman. Uh, but I have noticed that since doing less of that and doing more longer, slower, uh, lower intensity cardio that I can recover a little bit faster between sets, which is kind of, um, a bit, uh, a bit counterintuitive for some, because they'll often say, you know, I can't, I can't do all that. I don't have the recovery capacity to do all that, to lift weights and run. Uh, there's, there's going to be a slight decrease in performance when you initially start doing something new. But you'll quickly adapt to that. And you will, by doing more, having a broader base, it kind of broadens your physical capacity. And now you can do more in the gym. Um, so it's, you know, the, the motto of do more to do more kind of thing. Um, so doing more has allowed me to do more in my day, basically. 
in addition to the recovery between sets, it's also being able to handle higher rep ranges. Some strength people say that, oh, I just can't tolerate anything above eight to 10 reps. And more often than not, the lack of cardiovascular fitness can be a limiting factor in them being able to tolerate higher rep ranges. So by introducing this modest minimum effective dose of cardio, you could start playing with higher rep ranges, which will augment your strength gain and potentially improve how much hypertrophy you can get by working in different rep ranges as well. Absolutely. I actually have one particular uh, client that I work with or a program for who is an endurance athlete or he was an endurance athlete. He was a uh, cyclist, long, long, long rides, hundred mile rides. And, uh, uh, I found that when I started working with him, I would treat him more like just a, either an average Joe or a power lifter. And that I would, you know, uh, program for example, for example, you're going to do six reps at RP eight or nine, meaning just re- leave one or two in the tank. And for most people, just an average person, that's going to be quite a bit to just to work up to that one set. Um, they might be able to repeat it for a second set, probably not a third. There's going to be a huge, uh, decline in performance from set to set. This guy can take just, it took a long time to figure this out, but this guy can take multiple sets at very high intensity and repeat that same, that same effort. Um, and so I'm giving him, uh, workouts that are, uh, much, much higher in intensity than I could do, but he's, he's just able to handle that because of his, his, uh, previous endurance, uh, 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 sport. Uh, and I, I've also found that, uh, people who tend to do well on these powerlifting programs are former athletes, soccer players, and things like that. They just have that base. Um, so I think that there's definitely something to learn from that. Five to 10 years ago, strength training was very minimalistic and there was certain schools that were doing a very specific way of doing things with minimal implements, minimal equipment, very structured with the tools and I guess overall protocols they were using. What do you think was missing from that minimalistic strength training approach? Yeah. So I sometimes struggle to answer these questions because I'm not, I am, uh, I have a bit of bias because I own a strongman and powerlifting gym. And so I work with a lot of powerlifters, which is the sport of powerlifting. And sometimes I'll get that confused if I'm giving someone advice, like this is advice I would give to a powerlifter, not necessarily someone who's just doing general strength training. Um, but yes, I think that what you had mentioned with the minimalistic style training, I think that it is a good sales pitch. Uh, and it can be misleading for that reason. I think some of the, you know, three by five, even, you know, starting strength, three by fives, five by fives, they are in a way a sales pitch to say, uh, check it out. You're just doing these three exercises, same sets, same reps. I'll even tell you just add five pounds every time. Do it. It's, it's so easy. Uh, and it pulls a lot of people in and they say, wow, this is, I have no questions. This is, this is something I can do. This looks like uh, it's not going to take too much time. It doesn't take any special equipment. Uh, no, no questions here. So I'll follow this. Uh, but they seem to uh, get stuck in thinking that this is, this is the only way. Uh, anything else is a waste of time when I would, I would honestly suggest a beginner start with a much broader base, a much larger base of exercises to choose from. Um, whereas someone who's more elite, like a power lifter, who's very competitive, that's going to be much more specific. Uh, so the exercise selection is less, uh, which is kind of backwards for a lot of these beginner programs. And I don't want to say they're entirely bad because there's a lot of people who uh, get drawn into barbell lifting or strength training or just see the importance in strength training from these programs. Uh, and then from there, hopefully they have the awareness to say, okay, this has stopped working or I have developed an interest in this and this, so I'll pursue that. But I think a lot of people get trapped in that minimalist thinking to say, well, so-and-so says that this is the only way. It's a waste of time to do anything else body weight exercises are pointless. I've got to have a heavy barbell. Um, so there, it's just kind of traps them in there. So it, it can be misleading. Um, so I would say th- those are the, the, the criticisms I have of, I guess, general strength training and, and beginner templates. That's a fantastic response. I really think you, you nailed it with that because they are alluring as a method because when you're new to fitness, 
it's so complicated. You've got all these options and you don't have as much experience to know what works, what doesn't work. And just following something as simple and sometimes even dogmatic as it is will bring about success for that very reason. It's constraining what you're doing. It has all the elements of a good program being consistency, following similar exercises, progressive overload, etc. But what you said with beginners benefiting more from variety is good. Having larger movement variability and being able to express yourself in different ways and just get used to moving your body in a more diverse set of movement patterns has so many benefits. This is the same type of recommendation that we give uh, kids when they're starting out in sports. It's not specialized from day one. It's the same approach is given if you want to get into powerlifting, build the base, base of strength, base of muscle, and then specialize. So would I be correct in saying that what you would do to improve one of these minimalistic uh, resistance programs is you've got your squat, bench, deadlift. Instead of just doing them with a barbell, you'd change variations. You'd use different tools such as dumbbells, etc. Would that be right? Yeah, I might even add an or. So this or that uh, to a number of things uh, so that they do have some range to kind of uh, play in the gym uh, or, or wherever they exercise. I think that would be best, yeah, to have a number of somewhat of a template and you can kind of pick and choose from these different movement patterns. Could you give us a few examples? Yeah, so I think that I am. I have used a lot more recently um, bodyweight exercises with my clients. And Good man. I, and I, I, even with myself. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. So the first, the, primarily for the upper body, um, push-ups, pull-ups, and things like that. Now, the criticism of bodyweight exercises is that um, they're, they're not very scalable because if you have an untrained person who's overweight, I'm not going to prescribe a max set of pull-ups if they can't do any pull-ups. Um, I just worked with a lady earlier this week. She, uh, she can't do a, cannot do a push-up. Um, so that's one of her goals is to do a, she said a set of push-ups. Um, but she can, she can bench press a training bar, a 15 pound barbell. Um, so anyways, I had to, I had to let her know that, Hey, you can do, uh, you can do push-ups on an incline. You can do push-ups on a, on a surface, uh, uh an elevated surface. Uh, instead of doing pull-ups on a barbell vertically overhead, you can do rows. Do you have a squat rack and a bar? Just do inverted rows. She had a pair of rings, do inverted ring rows. Um, so that's one thing, uh, that I, I like doing that. It's, uh, it's scalable and, uh, it feels good for people in the same, in the same note that deadlifting a heavy barbell, you feel good. You feel accomplished. I think being able to do a pull-up or m- move your body through space and push-ups, I think that also feels good. Um, and so, uh, one other thing about bodyweight exercises is they, they can be pushed very hard. I can push those to failure and not feel bad about it or not worry about necessarily injury or overtraining someone. Um, you can push a set of incline, uh, pushups, you know, 20, 25, 30 reps, go to failure. And oftentimes I will say that I'll say on the last set, just go all out until you can't do another pushup. Same with rows. Um, whereas you can't be, um, uh, you can't say something like that for a barbell movement. Just squat, just squat this weight until you can't stand up. Um, so they can be pushed very hard. And while I think that as a, as a trainer, it is important to write productive workouts, not just exhausting workouts. Um, it's easy to write an exhausting workout, but it's, it takes some thinking to write a productive workout. With that said, I think that people do feel, do like to feel accomplished when they leave the gym. They like to feel like they worked up a sweat, like they're tired, like they worked for something. And so I can put in these bodyweight exercises and uh, they could push themselves really hard. And people shouldn't be insecure about going from, say, weights to substituting movements for calisthenics because they will translate. And I like what you said there with building success is key. And one of the ways that beginners can integrate this success, if they're finding it really hard to do multiple reps of an exercise, just say they can only do a pull-up, a dip, and they can only do one to two reps at the most. 
instead of just doing sets, try and think of doing a total amount of work. So I can come in the first workout, I'm going to do 25 pull-ups. doesn't matter if I do one, two per set. If I get 25, that's a big win. And then over time, you can look at the accumulation as a form of getting that success and win as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's refreshing to hear different ways of measuring uh, progress in the gym rather than just yeah traditional four sets of 10, this kind of stuff. So yeah, just total reps, I think is good. We, uh, uh, daily volume or even weekly volume. Yeah. Now for the person that is interested in getting into strongman training, but they don't have access to a strongman gym, how would you recommend someone train like a strongman with just conventional equipment? Deadlift. Build your deadlift. If you have a barbell, do it from multiple heights. Deadlift from the floor, deadlift from a deficit, deadlift from at the knee, below the knee, multiple different heights. Um, I think doing lots of push press, overhead push press. So you're learning how to use your entire body to propel weight overhead. And I think that a strong deadlift and a strong push press are going to set you up for nearly any of the implements you'll face. There's there's a bit of skill involved with some of the, the implements like a log or an axle. Um, but I think that being strong in the push press and deadlift are most important. Beyond that, I would say front squats, lots of front squats, because you are picking up objects in front of your body, sometimes walking with them, whether it's a stone or a sandbag, you have to pick it up off the ground and you have to stand up with it. So I think that a strong front squat, strong deadlift, strong push press are best. Uh, beyond that, uh, static grip work, whether it was, you could do a, dumb, a heavy dumbbell hold, but I think that pull-ups, uh, pull-ups pull uh, mixed with hangs. Even if you were to do a set of pull-ups and hang for five seconds in between each, um, or do if you're able to one-handed hangs. I think that that is the best grip uh, strengthening exercise that will assist with anything that you're going to test in strongman. Fantastic. Very comprehensive, very actionable, not confusing at all. I, I really like that. With the grip specifically, what kind of progressive overload metrics would you be looking at specifically for say a strong man? Similar to what you had mentioned with the total pull-ups, 25 pull-ups in a workout, however you do it, it would be uh, time. So I would say, just depending on who, who it was, but if I were to say you're going to do two minutes of uh, static hold or hang from a pull-up bar, you're going to do two minutes and you're only going to have the timer running while you're hanging on the bar. Um, and uh, some people might do 30 seconds and then drop, stop the timer. They get up there, they do another 30 seconds, stop timer, you're at one minute. Um, and so you're trying to do that two minutes in as few sets as possible. And it, at the point when you can hold, I'm just throwing out numbers, but at the point where you can hold yourself for two minutes straight in one set, now we can increase the time. So that's how I like to, to prescribe grip work. What are the specific benefits from doing strongman training? How would you sell this to someone that is keen on starting? I think that it's a little more, we like to talk about uh, exercise being functional. And while barbell exercise is functional, you're picking something up off the ground. Uh, a squat, you're going through a full range of motion. So it can be a loaded stretch. Uh, strongman, to an extent, forces you to move outside of a squat rack. Actually move with your feet, move with weight. Um, and it puts you in some precarious positions, just like life, uh, picking up a sandbag on the ground, you have to dig your hands and get your knuckles on the ground. So it's this extreme deficit deadlift. If you think about it, um, you have to pick things up with a flexed spine with your back rounded. Um, you have to pick things up with your back. You know, sometimes you can't really use your legs. So it kind of strengthens your, and strengthens your back through that flexed position. Um, pressing odd objects overhead is a little more challenging uh, and adds a few extra elements than just pressing a clean barbell all the time. Um, so yeah, I think that it just, it forces you to move like many strength disciplines. It just forces you to move uh, in, in more planes than, you know, static de uh, bench squat deadlift. Now those benefits sound great, but I'm sure that pushing yourself to obtain that comes at a risk. What recommendations would you have for, mitigating injury risk because we can't say prevent life is risky just to begin with but how would you advise people to sensibly train strongman and reduce their injury risk always start slow like i had mentioned with the the running and the lifting 
start slow, give yourself time to uh, expose yourself to these, these new ranges of motion, like the Atlas stones or the, the sandbags. Um, and to not only uh, give yourself time to adapt to those, give your body time to adapt to those movements, but also just to build some confidence. Uh, if, you, if you're bending over and rounding your back over a big stone, you know, I've seen it in the gym before, a power lifter who's only done deadlifts for the past couple of years comes over and thinks, okay, boy, you know, the only option I have is to try to max out the heaviest stone I can pick up. Uh, <laughs> and they exactly. want to bend over, uh, get into this flex spine position that they haven't really been in. Um, their knuckles are scraped against the ground. They're way down there. Uh, and they're, they have no confidence. They're thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt my back. Uh, isn't this bad for my back? If you're going into a movement, movement very timid and, and expecting injury, uh, it's just not a good headspace to be in when you're lifting weights. So build up a lot of confidence. And with that, uh, leave your ego at the door. So don't go over to the strongman side of the gym and think, uh, I'm big and strong. I can do anything. Uh, so just, yeah, start slow, get yourself accustomed to it. And it's no different than, than lifting weights for the first time. Uh, you meet someone where they're at, if they don't have any experience doing this, start slow get better over time. I agree with your ideas there. It's always someone doing a new movement. They're trying to add way more to their one rep max than realistically possible. And also there's signs and symptoms that we all know going into a workout or a particular PR attempt that just show you that it's not a good day to try it. You hear the same type of narrative from everyone or I was warming up. I didn't feel quite strong. I didn't feel that like explosive on my warm-ups. I felt a little bit of an ache in my pec or my bicep when I was doing that exercise. That type of speech is always followed with, and then I tore my pec or I, I <laughs> right. tore my bicep. So I, I agree. It's, it's that stuff in addition to just being mindful of your body and you can really reduce the harm, the potential harm. Yeah, I agree. With strength training, we all want to maximize how much strength we can get and improve this over time. What have you found to be a, a nice, simple, and effective way to predictably get stronger? I think that it's important to, to define what it means to you to be strong. Um, so if someone were to say, uh, he, you know, this guy uh, deadlifts 500 pounds but he can't do one body weight pull up. Is he strong? Well, sure he is, but is he strong? Uh, this guy, uh, only deadlifts 200 pounds, but he can do 20 pull-ups. Um, so it is, it's hard to say, you know, what works best for getting strong. Um, because the definitions can vary. You might have more of a calisthenics approach to what strength is while someone else might say, if you, if you can deadlift 1000 pounds, that's all, that, that's all that really matters. Um, but I will say that uh, to an extent, specificity is important. So if someone was to come to me with a specific goal to say, I want to deadlift 500 pounds because that's my definition of strong, I'm going to have them do some deadlifts. Um, if someone were to say, uh, hey, I'm going into the military, I need to get stronger, I need to be able to do this many pull-ups. I'm not going to say, well, I think that your deadlift is the best uh, metric of strength, so you're going to deadlift a whole bunch. Uh, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to increase their their pull-ups. So really, whatever you define as strong, some people might say strength is being the strongest powerlifter, being the strongest strongman competitor. Some people might say strength is being able to do a number of different things. I want to be able to uh, run fast. I want to be able to run long distance. I want to be able to lift weights all of these things. They might say a strong body is a healthy body or someone might say a strong body is someone who can lift a really heavy barbell. Uh, so somewhat depends on the, the definition of strength. But to come back to it, I think that uh, specificity is important. I know we had talked earlier about building a broad base, um, but I think that's because of my, my definition of strength would be a little more broad than what someone else might say or what I would, what I would have said five years ago. Um, so I think that that's, in my opinion, what a beginner should be focused on is a broad base in order to get strong in multiple areas, not just the specific one. 
This episode is sponsored by Fitness FAQs. Become a bodyweight beast with our calisthenics workouts. Use the coupon code PODCAST10 at checkout to save 10% off when shopping at fitnessfaqs.com. Don't miss this discount. Start training smarter and enjoy the gains. Freeweights versus machines is another divisive area within gym culture. What's your opinion on this and how should we decide whether we do one, the other or both? I think that uh, first and foremost, it would be whatever you have access to. So if you did have just some dumbbells in your garage and you don't have the time or the, the money for a gym membership, you can get a lot of work done with body weight and with dumbbells. So I wouldn't worry about, you need machines to do this. Um, uh, with that said, if you went into a commercial gym and you were attracted to the machines, you just there were a whole bunch of machines, maybe there's only one squat rack in the gym, you go to busy time and that squat rack's always being used, you don't have a lot of confidence in free weights, I wouldn't say, I would have said five years ago, like, don't do the machines, you're wasting your time. You need to figure out a way to get in that squat rack. Uh, but no, you don't have to use a barbell to, to get the benefits of resistance training. As long as you're mechanically, you have mechanical tension on the muscle, you can do it with machines. If you really lack confidence in free weight movements and you're on your own, you don't have a personal trainer, there's nothing wrong with, with going with some machines, maybe until you build some strength or some confidence. Um, I will say that if someone was to say, hey, Alan, I have access to free weights and machines, where should I start? I would encourage them to start with free weights because I think there's some added benefit, not only building muscle, but the balance component um, that I think are, are valuable. Also, just the stability of the free weight moving. Um, there's also, you're going to get more bang for your buck out of free weight exercises. So large compound exercises, you can use, you are using more muscle groups at the same time. So you're gonna get more work done uh, in less time. So for example, if you were to do a barbell back squat, you're gonna get a lot more work done to your overall body than if you were to do a leg extension or a leg curl or even a leg press. Um, there's Your whole body is being loaded with a barbell squat. Uh, and not to mention, like I said earlier, you're going through, you might be going through a greater range of motion with free weights. If you're able to get down to depth, you're kind of limited with a leg extension or a leg press machine. Uh, and you're going to get that balance component, which I also think that the balance component keeps you in check as to not add too much weight too soon. So if you are unable to squat down to depth while maintaining balance, then you're not ready to lift that weight. So it should never be a compromise. Uh, hey, Alan, uh, should I add 50 pounds on my squat? Can you squat it to the same depth you were just squatting 50 pounds less? And can you do it while maintaining balance? No, it's got it's going to be a little bit higher. If I go down lower, I'm going to lose balance. Then it's a good way of knowing that you shouldn't be lifting that weight. So I think that um, I would say free weights first, but weights can uh, excuse me, machines can also be used. Uh, I the last thing I'll say about uh, free weights and machines, using both can be a good thing. Uh, I think that, like I mentioned with the calisthenics, machines can be pushed pretty hard and pretty close to failure. Um, so that might be a good option for someone after you do your squats or deadlifts um, and, and pull-ups. Uh, you get on a lat pull-down machine or some cable flies or something like that. Uh, and just take it to total exhaustion. Um, it's probably easier to do and a little safer than doing it with free weights. That's another reason I would suggest machines. I just speak from personal experience because in my first several years of training, I was very much a barbell purist just because I feel the early era of the 2010s fitness was just rife with, if you're not squatting or deadlifting with a barbell, you're a pussy. So <laughs> I just want people to know that um, you can definitely substitute movements and it's not any less hardcore if you do choose to use machines. It's like... Depends on your goals and, and much more. Yeah. I think that there was a, a bit of a realization for me too when I used to be, you know, the same way. Uh, I would think like that. Uh, and I would think that the, the uh, you know, barbell bench is the most important metric of strength or something like that. Um, but I'm being outbenched by a number of other people 
uh, who, who, who train far differently than I do, um, or who don't do a lot of bench press, or, uh, I would say barbell bench press is the best for upper body hypertrophy. If you want to build chest and shoulders, triceps, got a bench press, but there's gymnasts or any calisthenic training, uh, who have way bigger pecs and shoulders and, and triceps than I do. And so it was kind of like, yeah, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not right about this. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And what I want people to understand is you don't need a plethora of exercises to get the job done. As you said, people look at gymnast physique or calisthenics physique. They would assume that they're doing all this stuff or maybe lifting weights too, but often they're just doing push-ups and dips. Yeah, so I think that from an as an outsider, because I wouldn't call myself a calisthenics guy, um, I think that at times uh, from the outside looking in, it appears like a lot of calisthenics is a bit of a uh, a circus, uh, yeah. and that it's just it's just for show. Um, and I also think that sometimes that uh, looks unattainable. Um, so so what I mean is calisthenics, like you had said, it could be pull ups, it could be dips, different variations of those movements. Uh, but we see it as kind of the bar star stuff of like flipping around and clapping yeah, hands and catching yeah, a bar, yeah, yeah. Uh, or doing you know, front levers and one, one handed, uh, handstands, um, things that one look like, uh, it's just, you know, like I said, a circus, just a show of inter- entertainment, uh, but also just completely unattainable. Like I, even myself, I look at, uh, some of those things and think, I don't think I would ever be able to, to do that. And so I don't, I'm not going to sit down and say, I want to work towards this. It just looks like, uh, something that I would never be able to do. Um, and so it's so it's almost like I just don't I just don't accept it. And I'm being very general. I'm not being specific. For sure. What yeah, I, yeah. And and that is the consensus with when people do see calisthenics because someone sees a bench press. If you've never done bench press before, you can hop on there and bench press the bar. Whereas if you see someone doing a handstand push up, you can't just jump in and do that exercise. People understand with weights you do the exercise and you lift weight as a form of progression. With calisthenics, they think that you just jump in and do the exercise where to build your base, you have to scale back, you have to use regressions. There's a whole host of different ways. We use band assistance, decrease leverage with our body shape. And as you said, on social media, you just see the end result. You see the pinnacle, you see people doing the crazy feats you're not seeing the reality of what it takes the average person to be able to get to that point. And secondly to that, with the calisthenics style training you might see online, it looks very disorganized. They're just doing these skills or they're just pumping out reps. There's there's no real structure. But behind the scenes, the people that are doing it properly, sustainably and progressing, all types of people, the average Joe, adults, etc are doing it in a scalable way, just like weights. Yeah, that is good to know. Uh, and I've I've been learning that myself. I recently found, a, I don't know if you're familiar with him and I might be uh, butchering his name. Is it Rafael Paez? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but I've recently started following him on, uh, on Instagram and he posts a lot of stuff regarding training uh, with calisthenic training that he does, um, whether it's a one-arm pull-up or things like that and progression towards that. And it has opened up my eyes to see that there is a lot to this, a lot more to this than like you had mentioned, just do the exercise or just try to do the exercise. Oh, you suck at it. You fell over. Just try, just try again. You know? So yeah. yeah. The fundamental strength principles are comparable to say powerlifting. You can, we often extrapolate that to calisthenics. The main point of confusion with the bodyweight stuff is people see the straight arm exercises or isometrics. These are very unconventional unfamiliar in gyms and lifting weights so people have absolutely no idea how long should i hold an exercise for what what is what is a high intensity or a low intensity and the nice way that i can leave you alan and people that aren't aware is you can divide your isometric time by two to get the equivalent in reps so if you're doing like a 10 second hold it's equivalent to five reps from a intensity perspective okay i like that yeah, it is refreshing. It's the same way that I think someone getting into barbell lifting to see that you don't just go into the gym and lift a barbell. You, you do, there's some exercise selection. 
there's some sets and reps to start with. I think it's good to apply it to that as well. What advice do you have for people that are exercising into their 30s and beyond? None. I don't have any special exercise, special excuse me, special advice for. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that 30s is aging, uh, but 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. No special advice. I don't. And I, I take this uh, uh, from direct experience. Whenever someone emails me an inquiry about personal training, sure, I like to know their age just to put a face to it. Um, but their age is not nearly as important to me as their training history or their training age. I have worked with people in their 30s who have uh, are getting off the couch, completely sedentary. They've never played a sport. They've never done anything in their life. They've never really even exerted themselves. They've never went in the backyard and dug a hole. Um, that person is only 30, but they're going to start from scratch, bare minimum. I've worked with 60-year-olds who have been powerlifting for 20 years. And they're like, hey, I'm here to get some powerlifting training. Um, what I always ask them, what have you been doing recently? And I kind of look at that as to what they can tolerate right now. Not so much, well, you're in your 40s and 50s, so your recovery is quantified by this and you're not only going to be able to do this and that. Uh, so I really, I, maybe it's, maybe I'm, I'm naive, but from my, my own personal experience, I don't really consider, don't make any special considerations for anyone, regardless of age. Um, but uh, you had asked for, maybe that wasn't your, your question. It was more of advice. I would say that uh, my advice would be that it's, it is never too late to make a change uh, physically. So some people think uh, they're, you know, hey, I see on Instagram these 21-year-olds who've been lifting for this amount of time, lifting all this weight. Uh, I'm, I'm 38, you know, I'm, I'm past my prime. Uh, this, again, it's never too late. Uh, I wasted my, my teenage years and my 20s, and now I'm here. And it's like you think about where you're going to be when you're 60 years old, if you continue with that mindset and do nothing, uh, you're going to be crippled. So start now. You can turn things around. Uh, and what you do in this decade is going to benefit your next decade of life. So my advice is do not wait any longer. Start now uh, and embrace the fact that you can make some changes. Powerful message. And it is all relative to where you're at within your journey. And I'm sure you give that same type of advice to people that have had experience with training and then maybe had a layoff for months or even years, you would probably recommend that even though you were at this level previously, we've got to start you where you are today and then just progress that over time, trying not to get too attached to what you were previously and just build on what you are now. Yeah, so I think that would be a better answer to your question with advice. Uh, and I've worked with that a lot of times. It's parents that would say, um, uh, I used to lift weights, uh, had a kid, had a couple of kids, had a family, started a family. Ten years later, here we are. I haven't done anything since then. Uh, and I'll, uh, and they'll sometimes, not always, but sometimes they'll tell me uh, what numbers they lift. And I'm like, how recently? <laughs> and they're like, well, back when I lifted, you know, ten years ago. I'm like, all right, <laughs> forget about that. That was a, a, a lifetime ago. We're not worrying about that. So, so yeah, don't compare yourself to what you were doing. Um, start, start from scratch and accept it. So, What would you say are the biggest changes and the evolution you've seen in health and fitness over the years? We, we had talked about it very briefly, and I don't want to be, give this a negative answer, but you had just kind of talked about the shift in at least online health and fitness, YouTube fitness. I think it's become, it's become one large advertisement and sale pitch, sales pitch, uh, with products and programs and apparel and all this kind of stuff and all. And so I think that that's been a large change, even with the, the quick snapshot of uh, Snapchat and Instagram posts, uh, YouTube shorts, just boom, 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 flash all this stuff in your face. Um, when I think that these longer format videos are going to provide a lot more value, um, for anyone looking to start. Uh, and I think that people get impatient. They want an answer now. They want to find, learn something new now. Uh, so maybe they're attracted to this, maybe not. But I think a, a negative aspect, I think that has been the, 
the worst thing I think for, for health and fitness. Now to be positive, uh, it seems like, it seems like a, uh, a common theme or trend is for a lot of YouTubers. I'm putting myself in here as well, uh, to, uh, debunk or go back on things that they said previously. Uh, it's like a false sense of virtue signaling. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a lot of, you know, even like titles of like, uh, five things I was wrong about, you know, it's like a very, very catchy to do that and say like, uh, uh, and just to go back and look at things that we thought were hard truths during this information boom on social media, 2010 to 2015. Um, to kind of go back on those and challenge those ideas, which is good. And that, that is the, the positive, the change that I've seen lately. Um, maybe to bring uh, a little bit more, we are bringing more skepticism to hard claims and hard truths. While they're still there, uh, I think that most people are becoming more aware of what they're, what they're told. Um, and anyone who goes online and posts for the most part, I'm not saying like liver King is still very popular. So I can't really say that this always happens. Uh, but when people post hard truths to say, this is why this, you know, this do this, not that all these very black and white polarizing pieces of advice that most people will, uh, will question it or say that like, you, you can do this, uh, to this extent, or actually this is good, this is better, you know, so on and so forth. So I think people are uh, becoming more aware of what they believe, challenging some ideas and uh, thinking for themselves. And I don't know if that's because, you know, we've just been consuming so much content over the past 10 years that we're kind of now filtering through what's, what's truth, what's, what's still holding on to this day, what's BS, what was a trend, what was a fad. Um, but I think that, that that would be the the biggest change in health and fitness. And I suppose I'm just talking about from a social media standpoint, uh, but that would be my answer. It's a double-edged sword because this information age has been a blessing and a curse because universally I look around at public gyms, the level of overall knowledge and technique people are using has improved substantially. You can see people choosing exercise which makes sense with each other their form is good you're seeing progression you're seeing consistency all of that is fantastic but then because there is just so much information if people don't have the ability to identify principles and concepts they can get very overwhelmed because at the end of the day the people that rise to the top in fitness we're all speaking about the same things the delivery is different and that's what keeps you engaged to different content creators. But just being able to understand that regardless of how it's changed with clickbait, titles and thumbnails and stuff, that is a requirement of the game. I'm sure people understand this, but it's what's behind that. Is there substance behind the message? Should be your deciding factor with who you listen to and what community that you're involved in, in my opinion. And just having that at the front of your mind is key to you know, being in the game. Yeah. And I like what you said about saying the same things, uh, same message in a sense, but it is just about delivery. Some people do are more attracted to very, uh, scientific rich information. While some people do like a little bit more anecdotal information. Uh, I just want to hear about what this, this guy or this girl does. Um, I like their, their attitude and their delivery. Um, so the, yeah, the, uh, I think that's kind of what separates, separates a lot of the content creators is just personality and, 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 and delivery while it's still essentially the same information, but you are, and you are, uh, I, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned that going into a gym nowadays, you do, it is quite a bit different, uh, at a commercial gym, at least. Um, uh, I do remember when I trained at a gym called, uh, California family fitness before I had untamed strength, there was only one squat rack. And, and one barbell, you weren't allowed to do deadlifts. Um, but now you go into these gyms and they understand we need more squat racks because people want to do that. Uh, we need to build some deadlift platforms because people like doing deadlifts now. Um, and so I think that that is, uh, that is kind of leaking into more mainstream fitness. People are getting smarter. People are universally supportive in the real world. It's just on social media, you need to understand that negativity sells and the world isn't as bad as it seems and 
health and fitness is evolving. It's getting more popular. People are getting smarter. Uh, that's that's my two cents on that too. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. You're transitioning to some hypertrophy training now, Alan. What are you looking to learn from this experience? I have already learned the uh, mainly program structure. So previously, anytime I did hypertrophy training, I would just tack on some things at the very end of uh, and uh, at the end of the day. Um, I would do some isolation exercises at the very end when I'm tired when I pressed for time. So a lot of times it didn't get much effort and uh, sometimes it was skipped. And so figuring out where to put these things in my program that will uh, better optimize my results, I've, uh, I've, I've liked a lot. Uh, I also, so this program uh, that I have, I'm following a program right now written by another YouTuber, Natural Hypertrophy. And um, uh Doing this program has taught me a few things already. One, what I just mentioned, the, the program layout, um, but also uh, actually putting effort into isolation exercises, into smaller exercises. Uh, whereas I would put all my effort into the big lifts and then just kind of go through the motions with the smaller isolation lifts. Uh, but I need to put just as much intensity into those small movements um, and actually train those very hard. So my approach to those actually convincing myself that this stuff that I'm doing is actually matters. So I need to treat it as if it was of the most importance. Um, so those are things that I'm, that I'm already learning. Um, and I've, I've actually found for myself, uh, one small, uh, thing that I've learned that I've just kind of, uh, realized this past week, my pull-ups, my pull-up strength is, uh, increasing pretty quickly. That's, uh, uh, my pull-up strength, um, body weight, as well as my weighted pull-ups and chin-ups. And I have done in the past uh, a number of pull-ups uh, or in my program. I've incorporated pull-ups into my routine, but I don't think it's until I recently started additionally training my arms um, and actually putting some direct arm work in that really, really carries over. And I used to be of the you know, uh, mindset that eh, arms, whatever, it's you know, fluff and puff, that's all boring. Um, you don't need to worry about that. Just do your big compound movements. Everything else will take care of itself. But now that I'm actually focusing on direct arm work and actually trying on this direct arm work, uh, my pull-ups uh, are really improving. And I, I think that has to be it because, I've, like I said, I've done lots of pull-ups in the past without much progress. So the arm training is helping. Um, so that, like I say those are the, the couple of things that I'm, I'm really uh, I'm learning for the program. There was one other thing I wanted to say, but I, I can't think of it. But um, yeah, those two things, definitely. It's fantastic to hear that the isolating of the arms is improving your pull-ups because I can agree with that from personal experience and with what I've seen other people because it just doesn't get fully fatigued with those compounds. As good as pull-ups and chin-ups are, you do them to exhaustion, rarely is that going to be the limiting aspect in terms of being able to fully stimulate and hypertrophy the biceps. So I've also found that doing the direct arm work has helped pull up chin up performance and my elbows have never felt better. In the past when I was just a compound purist doing pull ups three days a week, got strong, I improved specificity. We know that that reigns supreme, but the smaller tissues around my elbow locally, that medial epicondyle just weren't just were getting so stressed because my biceps weren't acting as brakes as well as they could be in the actual exercise itself and mitigating the forces of those tissues. So not only is your performance going to improve, your muscle size will increase in the arms, which is good too. You'll also be able to not have the aches and pains of tendinopathy in the elbows, which plagues many people that get really into doing pull-ups. Yeah, and uh, so far so good. So hopefully that's that's all contributing to that, like you mentioned. The the other thing I was going to say is that uh, I think previously, if you were to say, hey, you're doing a hypertrophy program, I would think it was all fluff and puff. You're doing five sets of 10 on all these these very isolated movements. You're doing some bent over tricep kickbacks, very boring stuff, in my opinion. Um, but no, the, a, a hypertrophy program, especially for a natural athlete, is very much a strength training program uh, with some isolation involved. So I'm still doing lots of overhead pressing. 
I'm still doing squats. I'm still doing uh, weighted pull-ups, body weight pull-ups, dips, weighted chin-ups. I'm still doing uh, uh, some some uh, 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 dips, ring exercises, uh, pelican curls. Uh, so these are all very much strength training movements that I enjoy doing, but it's still this hypertrophy bodybuilding type program. It's not just a uh, let's fluff and pump the muscle up, uh, which I had kind of thought previously. Um, so that's really refreshing as well um, because strength training enthusiasts are you know drawn to bench squat deadlift uh, whereas you know a more of a gym bro bodybuilder um, just likes doing only isolation exercises but it's the combination of both that i'm really really enjoying so i've, I've learned that as well it can be both and, and like you had mentioned with the with calisthenics i'm sure that some people think oh calisthenics so i have to do uh, bar revolutions and handstand walks and all these things, you know, and it's like, no, you're going to do a lot of pushups and dips and things like that. Actual strength training as well as barbell movements, um, as well as arm isolation exercises. So it's not just this, uh, end product that you see as the bulk of your training, which is kind of what I thought bodybuilding training was or hypertrophy training. And that is one of the major benefits of a hypertrophy approach is that you have progression in so many exercises and that's what keeps it really fun you've got progression in your compounds you've got progressions in your isolation you're not married to one low rep range you can use sets of six and build some strength and muscle with that or you can go up to 30 reps there's just a lot more variability within exercise selection and intensity if you will of of effort relative to failure at different rep ranges too yeah that's another thing that I see six to 10 reps at times, sometimes 15 reps. So yeah, the, the additional sets and reps, uh, or the variation and in, in sets and reps is, is really nice. It's not just five sets of 10 for everything. So yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with the fitness FAQs audience. Where can people find out more about your work? Untamed strength is uh, my Instagram untamed strength or Alan thrall on YouTube. If you are, in the Northern California area and you wanted to check out the gym, Untamed Strength, uh, the website is trainuntamed.com. And there's also a questionnaire that can be submitted there that'll go straight to my email and I check that once a day. So, Awesome. Thanks for your time. Of course. If you enjoyed the Fitness FAQs podcast, leave a rating to show your support. See you next episode.